Hello, you're listening to Insurance Covered, the podcast that examines and explains the inner workings of the insurance industry. My name is Peter Mansfield. I'm a partner of the law firm RPC, and in each episode, I will discuss an aspect of the insurance market with a leading individual from the insurance world. And this week, we've got Tim Jones with us. Uh, and our topic will be MGAs, or Managing General Agents. Now, Tim's background is that he started a career as a placing broker at Dixon Manchester uh, and then HSBC before turning his hand to being a professional indemnity underwriter at AIG and then Brit. Uh, he then spent eight years at Chubb in various roles, specialising in PI and cyber, um, before becoming, in June 2017, a director of MPR Underwriting Limited, which is, rather appropriately, an MGA. So, Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Peter. Um, and before moving on to our topic today of MGAs, um, please could you kind of you know, explain to us how you became involved in insurance? Yeah, um, not many people sort of follow a direct path into it. A lot of people fall into insurance, which is how I ended up here as well. Um, wasn't the most natural progression after a sports science degree at university, but um, it's a people business, which was attractive to me at the time. Um, it's a great industry for providing flexibility. So when I was young, that was great because, um, you know, I had my weekends free for sport. Now it's a bit more flexible during the week with a family. So it's it's a great industry to work in. So the sports science thing, presumably that was, you know, you were intrigued at least, intended at least to go into sport. But uh... yeah, I think with with sport, I mean, it's a, it's a passion of mine. And it, as, I, as I went through school, I realised I wanted to do something I was sort of passionate about. So it was a, it was a nice degree to do. So which sports? sports? Uh, cricket, primarily, oh, wow. a bit of football. So, uh, what, batsman, bowler? Bit of an all-rounder, which is a bit like now in insurance, to, to draw an analogy. <laughs> Beautifully done. Beautifully done. So, um, very briefly, as a very introductory um, question, could you explain to us what a managing general agent actually is? Um, yes, um, I can. I mean, it's essentially a business, or it, or it can be an individual, um, that acts on behalf of an insurance company. So, it's involved in the... Um, the sourcing, quoting, binding of business, often working with other intermediaries such as retail brokers um, to attract um, policies. So they're working on behalf of the insurer. Right. Okay. So your your client your client is the insurer. Um, in a way, yes. I mean, you're you're acting on behalf of that insurer. So often it's referred to as, a, as say, a cover holder in a sort right. of Lloyd scenario. Um, your client really is is where you get your business from. So that tends to be your broker, and then the ultimate client, the policyholder, tends to be. Um, working directly with the broker who's who's sourcing quotes and alternatives for that. Okay, and, and are, there, are there different types of MGA, or is there basically one model that fits all? There's, I think there's a general overriding overriding model. I think there's, there's different ways that MGAs um, deliver to insurance companies. I think the key thing is it needs to provide something that's, that an insur- insurance company can't provide themselves. So whether that's uh, a location, a geography element whether it's in terms of a, a technology or a platform-based distribution system or whether it's people and skills. You might have an insurer that wants to get into a product line. Um, they don't accept the people in-house to be able to do that, but they know of a niche specialism or, or a company that can help. So they might go down the MGA route to source that business rather than building out, spending that money on their own infrastructure and staff. Okay, so the, the insurer effectively gives you the money and the pen, effectively. The pen, yeah. That's um, right. And, and then you are the friendly face of, of that insurer in a specialist area or a different part of the country. Yeah, I mean, not necessarily the friendly face of that insurer, per se, because you have your own brand and your own ethos. Mm-hmm. Um, the insurer kind of works with MGAs. They feel they can attract the business they want to attract, but they can't necessarily get to uh, 
um, themselves. So um, most MGAs, you possibly don't know who the ultimate insurer is. It's all very transparent and clear, obviously, but the main brand that you're putting across is the MGA itself as opposed to the, the ultimate insurer. Right. Uh, and during your time at Chubb, did you come across many MGAs? Um, not a huge amount. Chubb was um, relatively traditional in that sense. Um, there were a few niche areas where perhaps the specialism wasn't there. Um, it's slightly different to, to backing a broker under, say, a delegated underwriting authority. So there are a few of those schemes or facilities uh, where the broker would have access to a homogenized group of business and the insurer would say, okay, well, if it fits this box and these parameters, we're happy for you guys to, to bind business on that behalf. So perhaps less so um, at Chubb, but, but certainly, obviously, since moving into the MGA space now, it's become more apparent just the way that we operate, just how many there are, I think, in, in the current insurance market. And, and what prompted you to move from an insurer to an MGA? Um, a number of things, really. I think, um, you know, the situations change within organisations. I think there's a lot of um, consolidation and, and M&A activity, which often changes the dynamics of, of companies. Um, I think for us at, at NPR, there was an opportunity to continue doing what we were doing, but in a more of an entrepreneurial, flexible uh, framework, really, um, and particularly focusing on, on the UK regional market, which tended to be underrepresented over the last sort of 10 or 15 years as a lot of skill sets have, have moved more towards either automation or move more into um, sort of London or, or city-based um, operations. Um, so, yeah, moving into that space was, um, I wouldn't say it was a no-brainer, but it was certainly a great opportunity at the time to have a look at doing things a little bit differently um, and having a lot more control over, over what we did as well. You know, a lot of people wouldn't say it's a corporate disillusionment, but the, the large corporates tend to have certain strategies, certain ways of doing things. So to have the ability to be flexible and, and sort of plot your own path was, was certainly very attractive. And tell us a little bit more about what NPR actually does, what classes of business and... Yeah, so MPI is a uh, financial lines specialist. So that's your sort of typical uh, business lines of insurance. So um, uh, direction offices or management liability, um, professional indemnity, cyber, commercial crime, EPL. So very much a, a financial lines um, specialist. Um, and we operate um, mostly in the, in the UK regional market. So the attraction for us as an MGA to a capacity provider is all very well experienced. We've all got multiple years' experience in financial lines, um, and we've also got a huge amount of experience of the regional broker market. Uh, we've got sort of boots on the ground, to use a very cliche phrase, but we've got people in sort of Glasgow, the North, Midlands, and the South. Um, so for a capacity provider that doesn't necessarily have that regional footprint or distribution, it was a good opportunity for us to, to work locally with predominantly independent brokers as well, the brokers that are delivering an advice sale. Um, so they like to speak directly with the insurer as opposed to being pushed down a path or pushed down a system or perhaps not having a direct representative in their region. So it, it's it's worked very well. So, yeah, we present a lot of uh, almost old school sort of business to, to the back to the market when the market's become perhaps more streamlined, automated mm. and commoditized with, you know, expense being spared potentially by other insurers, taking away some of the frontline underwriting, replacing it with either salespeople or systems. So there's a lot of face-to-face stuff yeah, in what you do. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's, it's the human touch. I mean, I think and that's the key element. I think you see across a lot of industries now is is <clears throat> I think if you can provide that that human touch, it, it goes a long way. Everyone talks about tech being the biggest disruptor, but it's perhaps crept into areas where it it's overstepped the mark or it's become over automated. So 
if you can bring back a bit more human touch yeah, towards but, that. There's always going to be a human element, isn't there? You yeah. Can't, can't avoid that. Yeah, we're not Luddites by any by any stretch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not walking around with a you know paper and quill, but um, I think we recognise that having those sort of traditional business relationships is, is crucial, really, in the insurance industry. And um, MGAs are able to provide that service. So where do MGAs fit within the wider insurance markets? Kind of, you have producing brokers one hand yeah. and you have insurers at the other end. I mean, where do MGAs actually fit? Yeah, they fit sort of um, in that space between them, really. As I sort of said before, I think large insurers tend to be fairly sort of cumbersome, um, lots of legacy systems, legacy sort of networks and um, legacy operating models. So they've, they're not quite as nimble as they need to be sometimes to, to release an opportunity or recognise an opportunity. So MGAs obviously provide that flexibility, provide the ability to offer something to the brokers that the insurers can't necessarily activate quickly themselves or have the resources to, to do themselves. So, so what, what would you say was the, the, the primary benefit for the insurer then? So the, 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 the existence of an MGA, what's the main benefit to an insurer? The main benefit for insurers, you know, they can access the business they want to access, so profitable business, um, but they can access it in a, in a way that's that's very cheap, in theory. They're providing the capacity. Obviously, they need some control around it, but they tend to work with um, very well-experienced underwriters, so the control is there in terms of the risk selection. The only real cost to the um, insurer is the commission that they then pay to those MGAs. So that's the main benefit, I think, for insurers, is it's it's a model that, and, and I think this particularly happened, um, you know, in the softer market cycle when they needed to diversify some income streams, you know, and sort of, um, you know, insurers that were working in London, perhaps with sort of um, softer business cycle pricing, were finding that, okay, we need to try and access some of this other business. How do we do that in a, in a cost-effective way? Um, so that's the main sort of benefit, I think, for insurers. And for, for the brokers and insured, what's the main benefit? Yeah, I mean, again, I think because of what I sort of mentioned before, really, I think it's, it's the flexibility and the, that sort of, um, direct um, approach that uh, MGAs have, uh, they can bring something to that to that broker that's more of a personal human touch, as opposed to perhaps a broker not having a, a, a rapport or relationship with a major insurer. They can develop that with the capacity sat behind an MGA. Um, so it's um, it's incredibly useful. I think it's um, you know an area that's that's grown significantly, and I think it's an area that will will continue to grow for the right business models. So how did, you know, we know what MJs are doing now, but where did they come from? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, historically, um, I think it was more born out of, um, you know, a, a geographical need, I think, from sort of um, in the 19th century, I think. I'm not a history buff myself, uh, Peter, but you can, you can step in where you, where you want to hear. But effectively, it was, you know, large companies in, in the major cities wanted to access regional business, and I think they lacked the resource and the people and the transportation and the technology to be able to do that. So it was very much a, a geographically led solution. Um, you know, as things improved, as general infrastructure improved and technologies improved, I think there was probably a, a plateauing of, of, of that kind of model. But then I think in early 2000, there's a real surge in, in MGA. As I mentioned before, the sort of softer market cycle meant that insurers were looking to diversify a bit more and approach and, and find additional business. And that sort of MGA model started to become you know, more appropriate and, and you know, more sought after. Mm. So uh, the, you're saying the popularity of MGAs has, has increased and there does seem to be an explosion of MGAs, but are there risks for insurers in doing that? I mean, you, you talked earlier on about the, the MGA 
presenting its own brand and yeah. it's very important that the NGA builds its own brand and its own reputation. But if, if they are holding the pen and issuing policies on behalf of insurers, is, is there a risk for the insurer in that situation? Yeah, th- th- there is a risk. And I think it's, it, to talk about, it's probably if you look at the current market conditions compared to perhaps market conditions of five years ago. So, you know, in the softer market cycle, I guess you've probably got uh, an abundance of capacity. You've probably got an abundance of people coming into the market without necessarily a skill set in the product lines, but they think, okay, we would like to get into professional indemnity as an example. So let's, you know, back somebody to help us find that distribution and find the business. So, you know, in that softer cycle, there's bundles of capacity, you know, commissions are probably relatively generous, you know, claims conditions are relatively benign, certainly compared to now. Um, you know, and I think they have fairly broad parameters of what type of risks are accepted under that um, binding agreement. Um, so that's the kind of problem I think we've seen emerge as the market starts to, starts to harden in certain product lines is um, a lack of insurer control as to who's doing what. And I think as um, you know, further scrutiny in Lloyd's and the Lloyd's review sort of came to light, it was certain classes of business aren't performing very well. Certain syndicates in Lloyd's are giving capacity away quite freely. Um, so I think there's been a lot of pressure in terms of you know, who you're giving your capacity to, what are they doing, what are the controls. Um, but, you know, it's not just an, uh, I don't think it's just an issue for, you know, for, for insurers. I think it's, it's an issue for brokers as well, because as that hard market has materialized, a lot of, a lot of brokers are finding that existing relationships with NGAs, they might not necessarily know who backs them. They should do, but they might not, or it might be through various syndicates. I'm not quite sure they're finding existing relationships and existing cases are, are, are no longer able to be, be placed or, you know, in terms of increasing capacity has been pulled. So, I think for brokers, it's it's really important to know your MGA as well, know what the sort of long-term vision is. It's not just a short-term fix. Um, you know, so having that kind of longevity and I think the vision of, a, of an MGA needs to be well-articulated to both insurer and broker as that kind of middle middle ground because for an insurer, they, you know, they need to know that, you know, they're in there for the long run. Okay. And um, what about claims? When, you know, when an insured has a claim... What's the MGA's role in yeah, the claims I mean, handling side? Um, MGAs often have their own clean house claims handling facility. Others might rely upon the capacity provider, particularly if that capacity provider is also providing the same product lines, so they have the capabilities. Um, so yeah, there's, there's different ways of, of, of doing it, and obviously different costs involved. So I think if an MGA is providing its own claim service, they can probably you know generate a larger commission from from uh, from the insurer. Uh, but at the same time, sometimes it's for a cl- an end client, an end policyholder, if it's a relatively new MGA, they want to know not only what capacity and security is, is ultimately backing them, but if a claim does happen, who's actually sort of handling that claim and what experience do they have? So yeah, obviously... Yeah, because if the MGA doesn't have the claims side of things, then suddenly you have insureds who are dealing with one entity for when when the policy is, is purchased. Yeah. And another entity when when their claims are done, does that lead to any potential? No, I don't think so. Because a lot of a lot of insurers would sometimes outsource claims handling ability to you know to law firms and, and that kind of stuff anyway. So I don't think that's an unusual method to have. I just think you just need to make sure that's articulated well and they're getting a good service. And I think as long as that's the case, I think most insurers are going to be happy. I mean, if you use the example of of cyber, um, for example, the you know the instant response on cyber is the, the crucial element. Um, so you obviously you can have a good product and you can have a, an MGA that, that distributes that product and you can have an insurer that's the ultimate capacity provider. But quite often that immediacy of 
instant response and you know forensics and crisis management that has to happen incredibly quickly so you need to make sure often you're partnering with other third parties that that can provide that service service quickly and, and you've touched upon it already but how are NJs regulated yeah so um quite closely more closely now i think but i mean they're they're regulated by the fca and they're viewed as a, an intermediary uh, much like a broker um, so there's always been that kind of um, level of regulation. I think what we're seeing now is probably increased scrutiny, particularly in Lloyd's. For anybody who's a Lloyd's cover holder, there's, there's a process to go through to get approved cover holder status. And I think a lot of capacity providers, are, they should have been and they are providing that kind of due diligence and analysis of MGAs operating. But I think there's probably more, more onus upon that now, particularly when capacity is harder to come by, you know, insurers are a little bit more selective of who they're working with. So you've got that scrutiny, you've got that kind of due diligence, but you've probably also got insurers now looking more at the sort of longer term model and, and how that um, how that pans out. And what's the future for MGAs? You've already pointed out that in the soft market, maybe MGAs become more attractive. In the hard market, maybe there's a different model that the insurers will adopt. I mean, is there going to be a role for MGAs in the future, particularly as technology takes over? You've mentioned uh, the, the Lloyd's Kind of plans for Lloyd and the blueprint document and the increased automation, increased technology. Mm. I mean, is there really a role for the MGAs in the future, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, the MGA model does work. Um, I think those that will survive in the future have to have that sort of mindset, that long-term mindset. So again, look at the kind of vision of, a, of what an MGA is, what their brand belief is and what their ethos is. Uh, I think tech's always going to be a, a disruptor in any industry. I think we've seen that across um, insurance as well. And I think for high volume commoditized tech biz- uh, insurance business, I think tech will will provide a solution. Um, but you know, there's a lot of people trying to push tech into the sort of larger, more complex areas, and I think that's creating problems. I think particularly as we've seen, if the market turns again, but you know, you're finding solutions in the past which were driven by. Well, I wouldn't call it so good full automation, but certainly statement of facts or streamlined methods of writing business. You're finding insurers now suffering losses. So they're then saying, oh, perhaps we should, you know, tighten the criteria of what fits our online or, or automated platform when we should start developing some exclusionary language in the products. So, you know, it's a natural cycle in insurance. So you're finding more risks falling off that conveyor belt. And if the skill isn't there to handle it or the resource isn't there to handle it, they're getting into a bit of a black hole. So you know, if there's an MGA there that can that can handle that business and can can deal with it and, and chat to the chat to both the broker who can chat to the client and advise what's happening. Um, so yeah, I think we've probably seen a little bit of an, what we class as an over automation, particularly in our lines of business, financial lines. Um, and I think you now you're finding um, that you really do have have to articulate more to the client what the product's doing, um, especially some of the price increases that are coming through as well. And that, that's harder to do in that sort of automated tech environment. Yeah, so you think going forward, the MJs that are going to be successful are likely to be the ones which have that strong human connection and have a specialism. Yes. They I will think, need to be a specialism. Yeah, you've got to, to provide something to... So at the end of the day, it's, it's dependent upon insurers, really. And I think if insurers see the value in an MGA, they will likely back them. So it used to be geography, then it, then it came more about product and skills. I think you'd have a, you need to have at least both of those things in place to be able to access a distribution model. Um, I think the other thing to mention as well is, you know, there is sort of a bit of disillusionment in the corporate environment. So I think as there are more acquisitions and mergers and streamlining with organisations, I think you'll find that there's probably talent, underwriting talent out there that might think, you know what, I, I, 
I know what I'm doing here. I know my broker panel. I've got the skill set. I might set out my own and I'll find a bit of capacity to, to help me to do that. So, um, so yeah, I think the future of the MGAs, you know, is, is, is strong. I, I think what we've seen so far, I guess, is, is some of the sh- sort of shorter term impact, I guess. So having a longer term vision is certainly something that is attractive to insurers. And uh, we're sort of coming to the end of the podcast, so many thanks for your time. But could you tell us one thing that you would like listeners, and they may come from anywhere, probably the insurance world, but maybe outside the insurance world, um, but sort of one thing that you might want people to take away from, from this discussion? Well, yeah, I guess what an MGA is, which is, <laughs> Just be a start. you know, insurance is full of, of acronyms and, and abbreviations. And I, and I think, you know, um, not just what an MGA is, but I, I guess how to recognise you know, who they operate with, who the capacity provider is, what value they add, and, and the sort of long-term vision of, of where they're going. And I think if you can sort of analyze that within an MGA, you know who you're working with, you've got that sort of trust and confidence. I think in the broker community, I think there's, there's probably a little bit of worry about some of the sort of long-term, um, sort of longevity, I guess, of, of MGAs, given what's happened recently with... Are they right to be worried? Um, in certain areas, I think they've probably found... The hard markets create some problems. Um, so again, I think, I wouldn't say they're right to be, well, I think you, you should be worried about where you're placing your business. So ultimately, the decision of a broker needs to look at, you know, the ultimate capacity provider, but also what the MGA's role is in that. Are they in it for somebody out there to make a, a quick buck, generate some business quickly and then sell off and, and retire? Or is the, is the model more long-term and more stable? Certainly for independent regional brokers who've been there for, for many, many years, they're looking for long-term relationships. So um, that's the key thing I think I would, I would ask people to, to take away. And finally, what bit of advice would you give to someone starting out in the insurance industry? A man of your wisdom, <laughs> well, experience. Yeah. What, what would you I pass mean, on to young people who like, like into the insurance industry? Yeah, I'd say like anything. I mean, try and keep it simple and, and be adaptive, I would say. Um and, you know, try and find either a company or role that you feel passionate about. I think that that goes to sort of working life uh, in general. You know, I've been very lucky to, to work for the organisations I have. Um, and I think I've made the right moves at the right times. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good industry to work in. And I think as long as you can find a passion, find something you're interested in. The insurance covers the, you know, the breadth of our industry sector. So there's something there for everyone, I think. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Tim. That was wonderful. No worries. Thank you, Peter. Thanks so much indeed. Thank you for listening to Insurance Covered. Insurance Covered is an RPC production, recorded and edited by Mary Mitchell. We couldn't do this without Joe Burgess, Sean Alberts and, of course, our guests. Thanks to them. If you want to be a guest or have any feedback for us, please contact us on podcast at rpc.co.uk. Finally, please rate, share and review it. And please subscribe so that you can ensure receiving future episodes. Thank you.